The primary mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is the sounding of the shofar. The Torah, which twice mentions Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't call it Rosh Hashanah, it calls it the first day of the seventh month. In one point, in the context of listing all the holidays, and the second time it listed is in the context of listing the holidays, which have an additional sacrifice, a carbon musaf, calls the day, or describes the day as a yom trua, a day of trua, and the second time refers to the day as a zichron trua, and says very little about Rosh Hashanah in general, and never mentions shofar. So the first question actually one can address is what is the simple meaning of the Torah? What is special about the day of Rosh Hashanah? It would appear to me that the plain meaning of Rosh Hashanah in the Chumash is this. The Torah in the book of Ayikra and elsewhere mentions, of course, that the seventh day of the week is a holy day, the Shabbat. It's found in many places including the book of Ayikra. And then the book of Ayikra also speaks about the holiday of Shavuot, the counting from the time of bringing the Omer, counting seven weeks. And at the end of the seven weeks, the 50th day is a holy day, a day of special sacrifices. So the seven weeks and the end of the seven weeks is Chag HaShavuot, the festival of weeks. And the Torah also speaks a little later in the book of Ayikra, chapter 25, of the seventh year, which of course is the Sabbath year, the sabbatical year of Shemitah. And the Torah also speaks of counting seven times seven, 49 years, and declaring the 50th year, a special year called the Jubilee or the Yovel, Slaves go free, lands return to their original owners. Parallel, one might say, to the holiday of Shavuot, after counting the seven weeks, we have the 50th day. So in this context, it is logical to assume that what's special about Rosh Hashanah is that it is the first day of the seventh month. The seventh month is a holy month, important month, because within that seventh month, we have both the holiday of Yom Kippur on the tenth day, and we also have the festival of Sukkot culminating in Shemini Yatzeret. So the plain reading of the Chumash is that what's special about Rosh Hashanah is that on Rosh Hashanah we are announcing the advent of the seventh month and the festivals therein. So we have days, we have weeks. Now we have the seventh month, seven years, seventh year, and seven times seven. But it's equally plausible to say, I think, that apart from the special specialness of Rosh Hashanah, which basically then is a kind of Rosh Chodesh, it's interesting that a tractate of Rosh Hashanah deals as much with Rosh Chodesh as it does with Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is like a the most significant Rosh Chodesh. But in addition to being the most significant Rosh Chodesh, one could argue that in a sense it partakes of the two festivals that it announces. The first being Yom Kippurim, 
and the second being Chagas Sukkot. Yom HaKippurim is a day of atonement, of cleansing, purification. Yom HaKippurim is a solemn day. Torah speaks of afflicting oneself. The rabbinical tradition is that it has to do primarily with not eating or drinking. And the holiday of Sukkot is the most festive holiday of the year. Torah considers it a culmination of all the festivals. So Rosh Hashanah itself, one could say, partakes, apart from Rosh Chodesh, it also partakes of Yom Kippur on one hand and of Chag Sukkot on the other, which would account to the dual nature of the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. On one hand, it's a festive day, and on the other, there's a solemn element to Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, of course, even though the Torah never spoke of shofar, in conjunction with Rosh Hashanah, it speaks of a Yom Trua and a Zichron Trua. The practice, of course, we have based on the Talmud is that we make the Trua sound, which is some kind of a broken sound, either a staccato sound or more of a sighing, longer sighing sound, or first the sighing sound and then the staccato sound. So it's not clear to the Gemara what the best way to fulfill the commandment of Yom Trua or Zichron Trua. But the Gemara insists that before and after the Trua sound, there be a plain sound, what it calls a Pshuta Lefanela and a Pshuta Liacharela, which we in our jargon refer to as the Tkia. So this Tkia, Trua, Tkia, Trua being three possibilities either what we know was a trua, or a shvarim, or shvarim trua. Where did the Gemara get the idea of tekiah and trua from? So tekiah and trua are not found in conjunction with the shofar, but tekiah and trua are found in conjunction with the trumpets. Moshe is instructed in the 10th chapter of Bamidbar to fashion two silver trumpets, and to sound them on certain occasions, in the desert and beyond. In the desert, when you gather either the heads of tribes or the people to assemble them, then the Torah says you should make the tkia sound. Tkia is a plain sound. On the other hand, when you travel, when you announce the travel, you make the truer sound. And the difference, I think, is Bringing people together does not involve danger. On the contrary, strength in numbers, coming to a place, so you make the tekiah sounds. But when you travel in the desert, travel in general suggests vulnerability. You don't have a place. You're in transition. So when you travel, preliminary to travel, you make the truer sound. <clears throat> and the parallel is true in chapter 10, when you come into the land, in conjunction with the sacrifices on days of rejoicing festivals, we make the tekiah sound. And that is actually the last verse of the Rosh Hashanah uh, service of the Shofarot. On the other hand, the Torah says, if there be a war, ki then we are making the truer sound, the broken sound. That's a danger. That's an alarm in times of danger. 
That's where we have the distinction between the Tkia and the Trua. So it strikes me that on Rosh Hashanah itself, we have imported, we being the Talmud, has imported the Trua and Tkia of Chatzotzros to the Rosh Hashanah uh, service. The point being that Rosh Hashanah itself partakes, in a sense, both of the Tkia and also of the Trua. The Tkia being a plain sound, perhaps even a joyful sound, the Trua being a broken sound, as the Targum says, Yom Yevava, a day of wailing or crying. And that a Rosh Hashanah, the Shofar, is two very different things. On one hand, it is the instrument we use to declare God's kingship. That's on one hand. And on the other hand, it's a kind of wordless prayer. The fact that we are in sounding the shofar inside the Amidah, in the Shemona Esri, as we call it, suggests that our tradition sees the shofar as being connected to prayer in general, and it sounded right after we make a request in the middle of the Shemona Esri. We have three blessings, three requests. The first is that God reign over the world. The second is that God remember us uh, in a good way, positive way. And the third is that God should sound the Shofar of redemption. So together with the text, we are also sounding the shofar. So the shofar and the text go together. The shofar, one could say, it's what's sounded. And the text is perhaps sort of describing what the shofar represents. Now when do we when do we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? So in the Mishnah the Mishnah seems to only know of sounding the shofar in conjunction with the blessings of Malchiot, Sichronot, and Shofrot. In fact, the blessings of Malchiot, Sichronot, and Shofrot seem to be the blessings for the shofar. The Mishnah does not know of any other blessing. But there is another statement in the Gemara of Rosh Hashanah which speaks of sounding the shofar when we are sitting and sounding the shofar when we are standing. And the common practice of the Jews has been for many, many years that the shofar is sounded not only in conjunction with the Amidah, but it's sounded also before the Amidah. After the Torah is read, we are sounding the shofar. Now the shofar that is sounded right after we read the Torah, the number of sounds that are made are 30. The Talmud derives that we have 30 sounds because the Talmud stipulates that we don't know the best way to make the trua sound, that broken sound. Is it a trua? Is it a shvarim? Or is it a shvarim trua? So we make all the sounds. And then we have an additional drusha that we do it three times. So 10 sounds times 3 is 30 sounds. These are the 30 sounds that we sound right after we read the Torah. And there is a blessing that we make before we blow the shofar. It's not a blessing that's found in the Talmud. In fact, there's a dis- medieval dispute about what exactly the blessing is. Then we have our Shmona Esrei. And here there are several different customs about how the shofar is sounded in the Shmona Esrei. The prevalent Ashkenazic custom was, hundreds of years ago, that 
after they sounded the 30 sounds before the Amida, inside the Shvan Esri itself, inside the Amida, they would only make a total of 10 more sounds. Tekiyah, Shvarim, Shua, Tekiyah, with Malchiot, Tekiyah, Shvarim, Tekiyah, with Sichronot, Tekiyah, Shua, Tekiyah, with Shofarot, for 10 more sounds, and a total of 40. That was the prevalent Ashkenazi custom. That custom was challenged by many, including Rabbeinu Tam, who said, how can you sound only one sound, Tkiya Shvarim Shua Tkiya, or Tkiya Shvarim Tkiya, etc. But since the Talmud says we have a doubt about what is the best way to do it, we should be sounding all three sounds for each of the blessing. Or, if Rabbeinu Tam thinks, if you sound Tkiya Shvarim Shua Tkiya, you can fulfill the commandment even if it's Tkiya Shvarim Tkiya or Tkiya Shua Tkiya, because the additional sound does not nullify the act of sounding the correct sound. So, in short, one tradition was to sound only ten sounds in the Amida. And then what you're really saying is that fundamentally we have fulfilled the obligation before the Amida. And the Amida, sounding inside the Amida, serves some kind of function. Perhaps it connects to the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. But technically speaking, you can't fulfill the mitzvah of shofar if you make only ten sounds in the Amidah. On the other side, there is the opinion of the Aruch, famous opinion, who says that the practical custom on Rosh Hashanah was to sound a hundred sounds. Now the way you get to a hundred sounds is in one of two ways. There are thirty sounds after the Torah reading before the Amidah, and then depending on one of two customs, you can reach either 30 or 60 more sounds. The two customs are these. There's one custom, which seems to be a prevalent one, that after the shofar is sounded before the Amida, inside the Amida, it's only sounded in the repetition of the Amida. It's not sounded in the private, silent prayer. There is a different custom, which is to sound the shofar both in the silent prayer and also in the repetition. And if you recite 30 sounds in each, that leaves, that leaves you with 90 sounds. The Aruch had a tradition of 100 sounds, so after the Amida, you would sound 10 more sounds. If one adheres to the tradition that we only sound the shofar in the public repetition and not the private, and you have 30 before, 30 during the Amida, and an additional 40 sounds after the Shemona Esrei, after the Amida, to fill out the 100 sounds. This practice, custom of 100 sounds, which is fairly widespread in the Ashkenazi community, is based on an Agadah, which speaks of the mother of Sisra. Mother of Sisra, Sisra was the general of the Canaanite army, who fought a battle and, and lost and was killed. And after that battle, Devorah, the prophetess, sings a song. At the end of the song, she talks about Sisra's mother. And there's an agada based on the number of words that are present, 100 words, 
at the end of that song, which speaks of Sisra's mother wailing, Biyad ha-charon nishkefa vatiyabev em Sisra. Liyabev is to cry. The Targum on Yom Trua, Yom Yavava, that Rosh Hashanah is a day of crying, because after all we're being judged. So, the Aruch adopted that Agadic statement and instituted the practice of a hundred sounds. But the very statement of Sisra's mother or Yom Yuvava speaks to the idea that within the shofar there is a sense of prayer, of crying out, of wailing. So that's the practice. Before the Amida, 30 kolot, it's pretty universal. Inside the Amida, any number. Could be 10, could be 30, could be 60. And whatever number we get to, to complete the remainder after the Amida. So that either 10 more sounds are required or 40 sounds after the Amida. It is curious that the Agadah and the Aruch and the common practice speaks of sounding a hundred sounds with the shofar and recalls the story of Sisra's mother. Perhaps what they wanted to tell us was this. The shofar of Rosh Hashanah, as I mentioned, has two very different functions. It proclaims God as king and from that perspective, it is a joyous, a joyous sound. Coronet, a trumpet, a chauffeur, proclaiming the kingship of heaven. From the other side, however, once you proclaim that God is king, what is God doing as king? God is judging. We finally find ourselves being judged. Well, not finally. We suddenly find ourselves being judged. And that, of course creates in ourselves a sense of deep anxiety. And the deep anxiety is a function that we don't actually know, we're not sure how the judgment will end up. More broadly speaking, we're very much not sure of what the coming year holds for us. The story of Sisra's mother, she stood by the window and she's wondering out loud, why is my son late? Why is he late? The people around her reassure her. Oh, maybe he's collecting trophies, he's collecting spoils, the women or whatever. It's not clear that even his sister's mother repeats this, that she actually believes it. The greatest fear is fear of the unknown. And that's reflected in the hesitations, the doubts of sister's mother. So in Rosh Hashanah, we are suddenly finding ourselves standing before a judge, suddenly, haven't really had time to prepare. And the cry of the chauffeur is a cry from the deepest place. It's a cry of the person who is apprehensive about the future. It's a cry of those who are aware of and concerned about what the future will hold. What will this next year hold for us? That's the Yavava. That's the cry. And we can't even formulate sometimes precisely what is bothering us. Shofar has no words. We're not sure. It's about a deep anxiety. It does inaugurate these 10 days of repentance because as I mentioned 
in the plain reading of the text, it recalls the fact that this, it states that the seventh month is here, and the big day on the seventh month coming soon is the tenth day, Yom Kippur. During these two, ten days of Yom Kippur, we have an opportunity to think about what actually is it that's bothering us, what things that we've done in the past require change, moving us in a different direction. Yom Kippur is a day of confessions. We're very ex- explicit. But the chauffeur of Rosh Hashanah, apart from proclaiming God's kingship, is recognizing the fact that God is judge, and we suddenly found ourselves being judged and unsure of the, of the outcome. That's the Yavava, and that's the, the two aspects of the chauffeur. One might say the Tekiah on one hand, and the Trua on the other.